this morning, who should not be allowed to live? Between 33 and 36 A.D., this man by the name of Saul decided that the Jews who were following Jesus in Jerusalem and in Damascus should not be allowed to live. And so Saul went on a, uh, a rampage, you could call it. He went on a crusade, would be another way to say it. He uh, was officially deputized by the Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin. He was given papers uh, where he could arrest Jews that were following Jesus in Jerusalem and he could bring them to trial and the result of those trials were people were killed. And then he was uh, so zealous that uh, he not only wanted to take care of the problem Uh, Not only were there some Jews in Jerusalem that should die, but he also determined that there are other Jews that are in Damascus, Syria, that they should not live either. And so he got papers, warrant, and he was on his way to Damascus. Well, you know, I'm really curious when you... I, I don't know... I don't know enough about Saul's story, but... You know, how did he get there? How did, how did, how did this diaspora Jew, what that means is uh, if you travel through the Old Testament, you, you come to the Assyrian and the Babylonian dispersion, you know, remember God had an arrangement, an agreement, a covenant with the people of Israel. This is my law. Live by my law. Uh, demonstrate to the world what a people look like when God's in charge. Sound familiar? The kingdom of God is not something of the New Testament. It starts all the way back in the garden. God's attempted several times (laughs) to reestablish his rule and his reign on the earth. The first covenant, was that was part of it. I want to rule and reign on the earth. And Israel, I want you to demonstrate to the nations around you, this is what happens when a nation allows me to be their king. And and a matter of fact, it will be so good that the other nations will say, you know, we want God to be our king. That's the story. But tragically, that's not the way it turned out. And so God said, look, if, if you... Submit to me, my rule, my reign. You, you do what I'm, I'm directing you towards. And let's be honest, the, the laws, they're good laws. The result of it would be beneficial. Life would be good. Shalom. But humanity rebels against God. So God said, you know, if you obey me, submit to my rule, you'll stay in the land. Because the land's mine. I think about that. The land doesn't belong to people. The land is God's. Now, if you don't obey me, if you rebel, if you just keep the rebellion going that started with Adam and Eve, then you can't live in my land. You're going to be dispersed. That happened. And so Paul, he's part of that dispersion. His family uh, traveled to Turkey. And so he was raised in Tarsus. Tarsus, as we learned last week, was 
Uh, it was like it was the Athens of the East. It was the place where the, the West met the, met the East. It was like the Roman road coming through Tarsus. Highly, highly educated city. I mean, it's just really, I mean, it really was a great place for Paul, Saul, to be raised. He was then educated in Jerusalem. Uh, the, I mean, he was like, like he was like the exactness is the word in the Greek. His training, according to Jewish ancestral law, was very exacting, very strict. He was very zealous for God, and he was it was a disciple of a really pretty famous rabbi, Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel, he was a leading authority in the Sanhedrin, so the high court of Israel. He was the great-grandson of Hillel the Elder. And so even within uh, Jewish thinking, there's schools of interpretation. Hillel is one of the two options. So, I mean, Gamaliel had quite a heritage. And you do find out in Acts 5, that, I mean, their persecution against Christians, <laughs> again... In the news and in the Bible. My friends, there's been persecution against Christians since there's been Christians. It's not like new. Hello. And it's not as bad as it has been. I hope it doesn't get any worse. But it's like, come on. It's really not headlines. In Acts 5, Peter and John are in jail. Because they did, you know what they did? They, I mean, I can hardly say it. They pronounced healing in the name of Jesus of a layman who was a beggar at the gate of the temple who did not have access into the temple because he was deformed. And in the name of Jesus, they didn't have money in their pockets. We don't have any, we can't, we don't, we actually don't have any money. There goes that gospel of wealth. But what we do, we'll give you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he did. They got arrested for that. And as the Supreme Court is trying to decide, what are we going to do with these criminals? (laughs) Gamaliel says this. So my advice is leave these men alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, it will soon be overthrown. But if it is from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even find yourselves fighting against God. So my question is, in spite of Saul's family lineage, in spite of his quality education with Gamaliel, in spite of his zeal for God... How did he find himself fighting against God, deciding there are certain people who need not live? How did he get there? Then interestingly, 20 years later, 58 AD, there's now these zealous Jews in Jerusalem that now they're deciding that Paul should not be allowed to live. I don't, I don't think, the, you know, play Paul, the measure you use, now be a measure against you, pal. I don't think that principle is going on here. 
But I do have, I ask the same question. How, how did they get there? I mean, these are Jews that, again, from the diaspora around the Mediterranean basin on one of the three pilgrimage feasts they've come to, Jerusalem. They're there to celebrate God giving the law to Moses, the high law, that's the ten words. And one of those ten words is, you must not murder. And it seems to me, when there's a group of Jewish individuals that have Paul dragging him out of the temple, beating him and shouting, kill him, kill him, that sounds like murder to me. How did they get there? How did, how did they get to a place that they decided who should live and who should die? How did they get there? Well, here's the story. Acts 23, 2 through 23. So follow along. Paul's been arrested. He asks the Roman official, can I, can I address the crowd? He says, yeah, okay, go ahead. So he's now speaking in Aramaic. He says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, in the province of Cilicia, but educated here in Jerusalem under the exacting eye of Rabbi Gamaliel, thoroughly instructed in our religious traditions. And I've always been passionately on God's side. I'm zealous for God, just as you are right now. I went after anyone connected with this way. Went after them, hammer and tongs, ready to kill for God. Ready to kill for God. I rounded up men and women right and left and had them thrown in prison. You can ask the chief priests or anyone in the Sanhedrin, the high council, to verify this. They all knew me well. Then I went off to our brothers in Damascus, armed with official documents authorizing me to hunt down the followers of Jesus there, arrest them, and bring them back to Jerusalem for sentencing, and they would die. As I arrived on the outskirts of Damascus about noon, a blinding light blazed out of the skies and I fell to the ground dazed. I heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you out to get me? Why are you persecuting me? And Saul answered, Who are you, Curios, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, the Nazarene, the one you're hunting down, the one you're persecuting. My companions, Saul says, they saw the light, but they didn't hear the conversation. And I said, what what do I do now? What do I do now, Master, Lord? And Jesus said, Get to your feet, enter Damascus, and there you'll be told everything that's been set out for you to do. I've got a plan for your life, Saul. And so we entered Damascus, but nothing like the entrance I had planned. I was blind as a bat, and my companions had to lead me in by the hand. 
And inside the city, he meets another student of the Bible. His name is Ananias. That's when I went and I met Ananias, a man with a sterling reputation in observing our Jewish laws. The Jewish community in Damascus is unanimous at that score. He came and he put his arms on my shoulder, but after he protested, are you kidding me, Jesus? Jesus, you want me to do what with who? Jesus, let me remind you, this is Saul. This is a guy that deserves your judgment. You need to do something. with Saul. What do you mean? You want me to go pray for him? What are you talking? You want me to bless? What are you talking about? That just isn't right. That's not part of this. But if you go back, it's part of the story. And Jesus said, this is what, go do it. And Ananias, being the one with a sterling reputation in not only observing the law, but loving God, did it. And then I said, look up. I looked, and I found myself looking right into his eyes. I could see again, he said, the God of our ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has handpicked you to be briefed on his plan of action. You've actually seen the righteous one. And you've heard him speak. You have seen and heard Jesus resurrected and righteous. And you are to be a key witness to everyone you meet of what you've seen and heard. So what are you waiting for? Get up. Get yourself baptized. Scrub clean of those sins and personally acquainted with God. Time out. I mean, this guy needed. To, this guy needs to go to jail. This guy. This guy needs. I mean, somebody needs to hold him accountable for his sins. He's killed people in the name of God. Why are we? Why are we arresting him? Hey, he's a. He, I mean, he arrested. He should be arrested. Well, there's a key word here. What's the key word? Jesus is righteous. And when Jesus is righteous, guess what? He gets to pardon whoever he wants to because he is right. I am right to pardon this man and I do it in my name. (laughs) And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn his world upside down. And so it happened, just as Ananias said, after I was back in Jerusalem praying one day in the temple, lost in the presence of God. Just again, remember the con. This not too, this guy was running around, lost in the presence of God, and I saw him again. I saw. God's righteous one. I saw Jesus again. And I heard him say, hurry up. Get out of here as quickly as you can. None of the Jews here in Jerusalem are going to accept what you say about me. 
And here, here he goes, just like us. At first I objected. Who, who has better credentials? They all know how obsessed I was in hunting down those who believed in you, beating them up in their meeting places, throwing them into jail. And when your witness Stephen was murdered, I was right there holding the coats of the murderers, cheering them on. And now, now they see me totally changed, totally converted. Again, emphasis here is not converted from Christian, from Judaism to Christianity. They, they see my mind has been changed about Jesus. My mind has been changed about resurrection. My mind has been changed. And I'm living it out. They see that. What better qualification? I mean, I'm going to have a great ministry with the Jews. And Jesus was not impressed. He just says, don't argue. Go. I'm sending you on a long journey to the outsider non-Jew, the Gentiles. Your plan needs to be shelved. That's not what I want to do through you. What I want to do through you is I want you to deliver the good news of my kingdom to the Gentile world. Now the people, the Jews in Jerusalem who were gathered at Pentecost. They, they listened attentively up to this point. But then they broke out, shouting out, he mentioned Gentiles. He mentioned the outsider. He mentioned oh, God sending me to bless the nations. And they said, kill him. He should not be allowed to live. It's really very descriptive. They're not only shouting, they're, they're rending their clothes and they're throwing dust in the air. Again, newspaper, there's still a culture... <laughs> In the Middle East, that's connected with the culture of the Bible. What do they do when they get upset? They yell real loud, they rip their clothes, and they throw dust in the air. You might say that's biblical. Interesting, huh? Kill him. They shook their fist. They filled the air with curses just a little summary okay Paul was Saul Saul the persecutor of those Jews that were following Jesus and he was confronted by Jesus the righteous one on the road to Damascus In that exchange, Jesus, the righteous judge, the righteous one, the one who is right, forgave his sin. The sin of hating Jews that followed Jesus. The sin of arresting Jews that were following Jesus, the sin of standing by and holding the cloaks of those that stoned Stephen to the death. 
forgave him. Jesus, the resurrected righteous one, changed the course of Saul's life from persecuting him to announcing him the Messiah and his kingdom. And Jesus sent Paul, a Jew. I mean, a thoroughly indoctrinated, lettered Jew to the Gentiles to announce the good news of the kingdom. My friends, our only hope for delivering us from misdirected religious zeal and misguided religious teaching is an encounter with the resurrected righteous one, Jesus. We have no other hope. As zealous as we are, our zeal can get us in as much trouble as it got Saul in and the zealous Jews in Jerusalem that persecuted Paul. As good as our teaching is, sometimes it's not so good, but you know, as good as it is, if that's all we got, we're in trouble. There is a deceiver. There is a deceiver that can take all of our zeal, can take all of our teaching, and he can twist that around, and then we can become people that decide they should not live. In the name of Jesus. Our only hope for delivering us from misdirected religious zeal and misguided religious teaching is an encounter with the resurrected righteous one and praise Jesus, it's happening. In the past three months, 2015, I've read of two accounts of ISIS fighters who've had an encounter with the resurrected righteous one. This particular fighter was left for dead in the desert in Syria. And a Christian community found him, took him into their hospital, and nurtured him back to life. He actually had a near-death experience. This is what he says. That while he's being interviewed by a priest, he told me that he was, all, he was always taught, here's some religious teaching, always taught that to die as a martyr would open him the gates of Jannah or gates of heaven, recall the priest. Yet, as he had started to ascend towards the light of the heavens, devilish entities or jinns, he called them, appeared and led him to the fiery pits of hell. There he had to relive all the pain he had inflicted upon others and every death he had caused throughout his entire life. He even had to relive the decapitations of his victims through their own eyes. Then God spoke to him and told him that he'd failed miserably as a human soul 
and that he would, would be banned from the gates of heaven if he chose to die. But that if he chose to live again, he would have another chance to repent of his sins and walk along God's path once again. And that path was the path of following Jesus, the resurrected and ascended one. There's another account by a YWAM missionary that ran into an ISIS fighter who said, Jesus is appearing to me in dreams. I've been killing Christians. The last Christian I killed was a man who said, I forgive you. And not only do I forgive you, but here's my Bible. I want you to read my Bible as he proceeded to decapitate him. He said, but you know what? I've read that Bible. And Jesus keeps appearing to me. And I want to follow Jesus. My friends... The resurrected righteous one continues to save the lost. This week, June 17th, 2015, a 21-year-old, 21 years of age, Dylan Roof decided nine members of Emmanuel AME Church should not be allowed to live. It's the same spirit, the same misguided zeal, misdirected teaching that we're reading about in the first century. Same stuff. It's with us. So I just ask us, will we decide he should not live? I mean, I know that's my knee-jerk, you know, that's my knee-jerk. You know, that guy needs to be strung up. That's my knee-jerk reaction. But then, I got, but then I'm reminded, what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do when he encounters people that are despicable sinners? And would I, would I be so bold? Like, would, would I be so bold like to pray for that? Would I be as bold as the family members of those that lost family people in that church who've already extended forgiveness to this young man? Would I be that bold? Would I fill the air with blessing rather than curses? What I'd like to invite us to do is I received a call to worship, a liturgy, for the tragedy in Charleston. And I'd like us to end our time together just by reading the liturgy together. Would you be willing to do that? It's, it's a prayer. It was wit- written by one church liturgy. That just simply is a movement that's trying to get the church on the same page at the same time in response to things like this. So may I invite you to stand? We stand before you today, O Lord, hearts broken, eyes weeping, heads spinning. Our brothers and sisters have died. They gathered and prayed and then were no more. The prayer-soaked walls of the church are splattered with blood. The enemy at the table turned on them in violence while they were turning to you in prayer.
together. We stand with our sisters. We stand with our brothers. We stand with their families. We stand to bear their burden in Jesus' name. We cry out to you, O Lord. Our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, heads spinning. The violence in our streets has come into your house. The hatred in our cities has crept into your sanctuary. The brokenness of our lives has broken into your temple. The dividing wall of hostility has crushed our brothers and sisters. We cry out to you. May your kingdom come. May it be on earth as it is in heaven. We cry out for our sisters. We cry out for our brothers. We cry out for their families. We cry out for peace in Jesus' name. We pray to you today, O Lord, our hearts breaking, eyes weeping, souls stirring. We pray for our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. We pray to the God of all comfort to comfort our brothers and sisters in their mourning. We pray that you would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We pray that you would give them the oil of gladness instead of mourning. We pray that you would give them a garment of praise in place of a spirit of despair. We pray for our sisters. We pray for our brothers. We pray for their families. We pray for their comfort in Jesus' name. We declare together, O Lord... With hearts breaking, eyes weeping, souls stirring, we will continue to stand and cry and weep with our brothers and sisters. We will continue to make a place of peace for even the enemies at our table. We will continue to open our doors and our hearts to those who enter them. We will continue to seek to forgive as we have been forgiven, we will continue to love in Jesus' name because you taught us that love conquers all. We declare our love for you, our sisters. We declare our love for you, our brothers. We declare our love for you, their families. We declare our love as one body, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. We declare they do not grieve alone today. Amen. Thank you for our time together.